Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. What should we call this, Doug? Mid midweek madness? It's not Monday madness. We're dropping this on a Wednesday, but it's very much the madness style. I, I guess it would not be unforgivable if we decided just not to brand an episode of this no. podcast. I love branding. Midweek Wednesday. madness. Oh yeah, Wednesday wackiness. Oh okay. Ah, wacky is kind of a hackneyed word. Midweek yeah. madness is probably better. Ma- madness. There's a seriousness of purpose, even in madness, where wackiness sounds like, ah, we're, oh. we're just. Well, then maybe we shouldn't call it madness. <laughs> There's a ser- that, Notice how you said seriousness of purpose, and I did not interject Buckeye talk. So, <laughs> Very true. Uh, Doug is back from vacation. I'm Nathan Baird. He's Doug LaMaurice. He's, he's, he's back in the saddle. And we're going to talk about the kind of this format that we introduced a couple weeks ago, we're going to talk about a big picture thing in college football. We're going to talk about Ohio state college football. And then we're going to talk about some nonsense in the third segment, uh, what you watch and what you eat and those sort of things. Um, hope you guys enjoy that. But to start off with, there was a fairly big piece of big 10 news. It was actually basketball news that happened while you were gone. How immediately did you become aware as you were down there on the teacups or whatever, how quickly did you become aware of the Jawan Howard, slap punch incident against Wisconsin. Yeah. Like my daughter is very tuned into college sports. And so she got like an alert on her phone that was like Juwan Howard punched somebody. And I was like, what? So it's one of those things as I'm sure happens with a lot of people in the modern world, you get the one sentence description of the thing. So I was prepared for, they're walking down the handshake line, and instead of shaking somebody's hand, Juwan Howard just cold cocked a Wisconsin assistant. So that's what I was thinking it was. So by the time I got to the actual thing, I was like, ah, I kind of rubbed his head. <laughs> so um, yep. for Juwan Howard's sake, it was not as bad as I was anticipating. It's very much a sports fight, it, it, very much a like, I feel like the intent was there. The aggression was there. The delivery is always terrible in these these fist fights that happen in, like, football, basketball. Um, maybe not so much football, but definitely basketball, baseball, those sorts of sports. Like, he, he takes a swing with an open hand and then makes a fist after he connects. It's just – it's awkward. It's guys who shouldn't be fighting getting in a fight. But – Well, yeah, I'm not sure that – it was a Joe Krabenhoff. Is that who it was? That's I think so, yeah. Right? He's a former Wisconsin basketball player. Like, he and Juwan Howard are both – big guys mm. i'm not sure they shouldn't be fighting maybe they should be fighting they just had like six people in between them 
and they couldn't. I mean, if like they want to go, just bring them out to the middle of the court and let them go at each other. It was, a, it was yeah. too much of a mosh pit. It, it, I guess some of that also speaks to the very um, impromptu nature of the altercation, right? Like nobody was like balling up a fist and like preparing for a fight. It just sort of happened. But other, you know, we've I've heard from textures I've seen on Twitter people making this connection between. You know, there haven't been that many famous incidents in college sports where a coach punches somebody uh, during a game or immediately after the game and the Woody Hayes incident being one of the others. Did your mind immediately or at all turn to the Woody Hayes incident and any kind of juxtaposition there? So I like to do uh, – do you ever do like family feud stuff? Family feud stuff is good to do in the car. I like to do it with family things like you say – uh, top seven answers on the board. Here's the question. Name a thing the Marie's family likes to eat for dinner. And then you have to buzz in and you say, buzz, go to Olive Garden, you know, instead of make a thing. Mm-hmm. It'd be like, it's like, ding, number three, 17 people said go to Olive Garden. So if you said top three answers on the board, here's the question. Name a famous moment when a sports coach punched somebody. Buzz, ding. Number one, Woody Hayes. Buzz, ding. Number two, Juwan Howard. Is there a number three? Yeah, I was, I I'm trying to think. Are there only, is this the second time ever that a coach has punched somebody? I'm sure it's not the second time a coach has punched somebody. If you had told me that there's an incident out there of Bobby Knight or Bob Huggins or somebody punching something, or someone, or whatever, I would believe it. But um, the, certainly with recency bias, John Howard's going to be number two on that list now. Yeah, because like, uh, weren't some of people bringing up like John John Cheney, John Calipari? We're like John Cheney, yeah, wanted, wanted to punch John Calipari, but he was prevented from doing so. Right. And probably in that moment, John, I don't know, John Calipari might have needed to be punched. Can you make light of punching? I'm not like if I said maybe John Calipari needed to be punched. Is that offensive? Should I not say that? I'm um, not sure where we are on punching. Let me let, let me just ask you this question: Have you ever needed to be punched? <laughs> then okay, then I think it's fair for you to say it. If you could admit it of yourself and say, "Oh man, I definitely needed to get um, rod smacked around," then I think you can say it about other people. That's like on my tombstone needed to be punched <laughs> now by the way have i ever been punched guess do you think i've ever been punched like all the way back to like school age like yeah. elementary school mm-hmm. um no i think you probably ran from any physical altercation before it got to that stage that would be correct never punched do you think i ever punched somebody um no i have not I have neither delivered nor absorbed a punch in my life. Now, that does feel like something I'm missing out on. However, when I phrase it that way, it also feels like an invitation for someone who listens to this podcast (laughs) to see me on the street and punch me in the face, which is not my intention. The entire next football season is just going to be you walking through the parking lot at the Ohio Stadium and strangers coming up and just blasting you across the jaw. So, Buckeye talk. I don't <laughs> I'm seriously gonna get punched. It's gonna I'm be gonna you're gonna have to wear a helmet. Punched. 
I am not a thousand percent sure on where society is on punching. Because I don't think that we're all soft and I don't think that everybody's a bunch of snowflakes. I mean, it's like, I think we have genuine concerns about the feelings of other people, both physically and emotionally, that for most of human existence, we didn't care about. So I'm, I'm good with being more aware of how your words and actions affect other people. So, but I'm not sure, but I still think there probably is a decent segment of society that thinks in the right moment with the right group of people, punching somebody is an acceptable way to sort out a disagreement. So I did feel like we had seen both sort of the overall punching societal norms sort of addressed in this that I don't think it's the end of the world for two grown men to jaw at each other and then one of them to get punched, right? So that has been a little odd in this of as two grown men, it wasn't that much of a thing, but you're not two grown men there. You're coaches of young people and that's a different thing. Where where are you on the whole punching thing? And have you either delivered or absorbed a punch in your young life, Nathan Baird? So I remember a, a schoolyard incident. I would have probably have been around second grade, somewhere, somewhere in that range. Um, and um, where I punched a kid in the stomach. I don't remember the circumstances, but I'm, I'm fairly certain that I was the one punching the kid in the stomach. And I think there was some, um, there's some return of that towards me, but I don't think he punched me. So I don't think I've actually been punched that sounds right that sounds right i was kicked in the nuts at a preschool picnic Mm. not my preschool when my daughter was getting ready to go into preschool and one of the other one of the other kids there um kicked me in the nuts for no apparent reason like intentionally though well you know how preschoolers are sometimes right you can't we do have young listeners that doesn't surprise me that much yeah so, um, so anyway, I don't, I also think probably the fact that you and I have not been punched might lessen, if that's possible, we may have lessened ourselves in the minds and the views of some of our listeners, because I do think if you are a person who has strong convictions, you stand up for yourself, you get in disagreements with people, you're not afraid to back down for what you think is right, you're out in the world, you're experiencing things, you're passionate, you're doing things that matter to you. Maybe punching just comes with it. And maybe we've, not that we've missed out, but maybe it's a reflection of our lack of belief in ourselves or maybe some, um, you know, maybe we're not putting ourselves out there enough, Baird, to, well, to risk getting punched. I think there's something you said for that. It's kind of like the fight club premise, right? That like, unless you, you know, you, you, you should go through that experience. You learn something about yourself by having been in those fisticuffs. I will say, and I think it applies to this situation, speaking for myself, I'm more likely to let something roll off my back than to go zero to 60 and have a situation escalate to where something is needs, where punches need to be thrown. I think I'm saving punches for when they're absolutely necessary. And I would argue they were not necessary as they were doing this handshake line at this basketball game a few days ago. Yeah, I scream at people, so I'm I'm actually pretty shocked I haven't been punched. 
because I punch with my mouth. I word punch people at times. I word punch my way through this podcast sometimes. So there may have, but I probably should have been punched by now. Back to the topic at hand. Jawan Howard could have accomplished, I think, everything that he wanted to accomplish in that moment, which is like, hey, Wisconsin, cram it up your collective cram holes without the punch, right? He this, The yelling, the confrontation, the face-to-face, I didn't like what you did. Hey, you put your hand on me. I didn't like that. Hey, I'm going to stand up here. The punch was really extraneous. It was sort of like, it was almost waning at the point of the punch to some degree. So I don't think he got his bang for the buck about the punch. But the thing we're talking about here is the Juwan Howard punch and the Woody Hayes punch. The thing that matters the most, right, is that you got to punch at your own level. So players punching players, coaches punch, punching coach, punch, poaches, punching poaches, coaches <laughs> punching coaches. The thing that stands out about Woody is you can't punch down. Right. So that's, I mean, the, and the difference there is the difference of everything. If Juwan Howard had done exactly what he did, but to a Wisconsin player, instead of a Wisconsin assistant, I believe he would have been fired. Is that does everybody believe that? Um, I think you're probably right, especially because his immediate reaction to the whole thing was so defiant. Yeah, but I just think like you can't like that's the line you can't cross. Right. I I do think some of the I mean when you consider sorry but when you consider that I mean yes Woody Hayes was punching someone who was wearing a helmet I don't know if you want to factor that into it but we are so much less permissive towards those sort of outbursts as a society 50 40 50 years later than we were when Woody Hayes was fired right so it's just so Right. We're in a less punchable world. So why is this? Why didn't this punch lead to immediate firing like it did with Woody? And it's because he punched at the same level. That's the saving grace here. And then it's one of those things where I do think maybe there was some overreaction that. uh, Do you think he should have been fired? Do you think Jawan Howard should have been fired? No. I don't think he should have been fired. I'm I am less uh, sympathetic towards the fact that the situation got to that in the first place. I think the I don't subscribe as much to the theory that Greg Garter, Wisconsin, um, had much blame here. I wouldn't have fired him. I don't know if he would have coached again this season under any circumstances, though. Because right now, with the way it is, he's just suspended through the end of the regular season. He can coach at the Big Ten tournament potentially against Wisconsin, he can coach in the NCAA tournament if they reach it, although that's that's very much a, I think, I don't know if that's in doubt for Michigan right now or not. So um, I think I would have maybe had him sit down until next year. I was a little surprised by that. I just thought, like, spend it through the end of the year, cool off, do whatever you got to do, and then come back. Um, I, was, I, was, I, I thought that would have been probably more appropriate, but I don't think he should have been fired because – so, so I do think there's the second thing here, which is coaches and the idea of, I'm going to use quotation mark sportsmanship is out of control because nobody knows how to 
implement it. Nobody knows when it's okay to be offended, when it's not okay to be offended. This whole thing, especially as I've always said with conference, if you're playing, if you're playing a money game, you paid this team to come get its butt kicked by you in non-conference, whether it's football or basketball. If you run up the score on them, you're a jerk. And if they don't like running up the score in a game, that team no had no chance to win and is just here because of their athletic department needs money, they have a right to get mad if you're going to be a, a, a jerk one about it. Teams in the same conference that have every ability to be on the same playing field, they're, they're level. Just play, just play. And whatever happens within the rules of the sport from the moment the game starts to when it ends is fine. Don't get mad about timeouts. Don't get mad about pressing. Don't get mad about when starters get pulled. All of that is fake mumbo jumbo crap that college sports is so tied up in. I know there's been a handshake line conversation. It's not a handshake line conversation to me. It's a, just deal with while the clock is running, anything's allowable. And if somebody's a jerk, somebody's a jerk. Think they're a jerk. But this this fake, this faux sportsmanship, it is applied haphazardly. And everybody, you never know when somebody's offended and everybody's a hypocrite about it. Oh, you called a timeout. That may be mad, but look, look at this. Then you can point to the example of the guy who's mad. Well, he called a timeout last week or a year ago or three years ago. You didn't pull your starters. Well, look when you did. Just stop with that. What is the point? What are we trying to protect with the battle over faux sportsmanship? What's at stake? Whose integrity? Whose feelings? You win, you lose, whatever. If it's not, if you're not getting called for a foul, it's allowed. So that, that is, and, and again, the other big part of this, Nathan, is it's the continuation of college being stuck in the middle. They're half pros, they're half kids. Oh, we don't, we got to protect the 18-year-olds, but we also, you know, we probably should be paying the 18-year-olds. So you get, everyone gets wound up. You know, don't be a jerk in high school. It's just high school. And the pros, you're millionaires, suck it up. And college is in between. And it's why college is so fascinating and so complicated. But can we please kill faux sportsmanship? And can we never ask a question again about, quote, running up the score with conference teams? I don't care how you went about your business. The clock was still running. Stop it with that. That's the root cause here. Right? That's what we can do away with. Yes. Yeah, this this idea that um, because... (laughs) <laughs> that because Greg Gard called a timeout, you're going to play them multiple times a year over several years. This idea that I, I, that's what the first thing, like this whole thing, that, that triggering moment that he called this timeout. And there were circumstances on the Michigan side as to why he wanted to call the timeout. If you listen to the explanations that have come out since then, that, that, that was just such an egregious affront that Jawan Howard needed to, act the way he did to start the whole situation. Uh, I, I don't, I don't understand it. Like my brain can't really kind of comprehend that. And that's probably why you and I have never been in a fist fight. We're, Cause I mean, we, <laughs> we've never been the kind of people who are maybe so offended by those things that it, we, we start escalating the, the situation. It's all, it's just, and it's so, 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 so fake and it doesn't serve any purpose. The one thing, and the thing that I do think is real in there is like what Greg Gard like sort of grabbed Juwan Howard by the arm to sort of tell. Yeah. Here's the thing like, 
Don't put your hands on me. Don't put your hands on me is a okay. real thing. And it's, Here's, and it's I, go, ahead. go ahead. No, I was gonna say, but when but when I watch that, I don't see two strangers in a bar who bump into each other or somebody has words and the other guy grabs a guy. I see two colleagues, two guys who know each other who are walking by and you're walking by in a split second and the other guy says something to you with clear like malice and you don't want them to walk. You want to find out what the problem is. I thought that was more two colleagues and one guy stopping the other one so that he could find out what the problem was more than like a aggressive I'm grabbing you kind of thing. Now I understand interpretations are to each person like Jawan Howard in that moment in his mindset is going to interpret that a different way. I just didn't see that as being the, I don't know why that's the escalating thing. If you have the perspective of what's actually happening or the relationship that those guys have as two coaches in the big 10 who have been to meetings together, who've, who've talked before games and played games against each other for a few years now, it just didn't, I don't, I still don't understand why. Yes. He put his hands on him. Why is that like this volcanic thing that, that sends Juwan Howard over the edge? When you're mad because putting to me putting hands on somebody, it's a it's a it's a word confrontation. Now there's a physical component, even though it's not hitting. It's and and it's not grabbing. It's just you know whatever it is. It's like it's what a, it's what an adult does to a kid because it either says a. I need you to listen to me because I'm the more mature person here. Like I'm in control, right? And I'm gonna grab your arm or not even grab your arm. I'm going to put my hand on your arm to exert my power and my maturity in this situation. I guess that's the only thing. That's the only a when it's like, what makes you think that you're in control or that you're more mature or that you're trying to explain anything to me. Don't put your hand on me. Like you're in control of the conversation because we're on equal footing here and you're just as wrong as I am. So, I mean, I've never been in a fight, but there was like, you know, I was at a, I was at a football game where I had a pass and I was on a sideline before a game doing my job and a security person told me like, Hey, you can't be here. And I was like, no, this is, I have this pass. I can be here. And they said like, no, you got to leave. And like, they put their hand on me to guide me to leave. And I was like, Hey, and I like, like, if you're trying to tell me I'm here to do my job, you're trying to do your job you don't have to put your hands on me. And that's that changed the equation of that situation. Once they put their hands on me, because like, I'm an adult, you don't need to guide me out of the, out of here and I'm not out of control. So you don't need to calm me down. So either though, you don't have any reason to put your hands on me right now. And you don't have authority over me. We're on equal footing here. I understand why that set Juwan Howard off, but the problem was, anybody being mad about pressing or not subbing or timeouts or what anything in a 20 point game, who cares? Stop getting mad about that. Everybody stop getting mad about that. It's stupid. It's fake. And and, and the counter argument to what I was saying before would be, well, because these guys know each other and have a relationship and our colleagues that if Greg guard just sort of shrugs his shoulders and walks by, he can call Juwan Howard the next day and they can sort it out. Right. They, they were, they were, so, but again, in the moment, that's not how you're not thinking through all that logic. Everything's happening very fast and messy. Um, Fran McCaffrey, Iowa coach, another guy known for the occasional, and by occasional, I mean 
like occasionally per half, like it's pretty much every week, he has some kind of eruption, uh, said he thinks they should get rid of the handshake, the postgame handshake. Chris Holman from Ohio State and Tom Izzo, I've seen some others, came out and said they think that's ridiculous. You should keep the postgame handshake and people should just continue to exhibit better sportsmanship and better control of their emotions. Where, where do you fall on that? Do you feel like the, the handshake line is this antiquated thing that doesn't really have a place? Or do you think it's important enough that they should uh, keep it around and, and try to um, avoid these incidents in the future? I thought Izzo's speech about it was fine. You know, that it's you get your butt whooped and then you go through the handshake line and you shake the hand of the person who beat you. But I think if we can't get rid of the indignity over the broken, unspoken rules of faux sportsmanship, then do away with it. Because, like, if you're just going to have people mad about stuff all the time, we, we just have to have – because very – I mean, do people – get mad about actually losing it's not usually that they're mad about losing it's that they're mad about some perceived act of rubbing it in so let's get rid of perceiving rubbing it in as anything you're just playing until the final buzzer and then that's it so then but other than that i i mean i'd be fine with it with getting rid of it i i think it's i don't think it's like the thing that's holding the fabric of the sport or society together but I don't think that's actually the issue. I think it's the thing that I've said nine times now. Yeah, I, I think there's something to it, especially at lower levels. I don't know about college. I remember being in high school. Uh, I played on a really bad high school baseball team, believe it or not. And my senior year, uh, one of our conference rivals beat us uh, twice that year. And the scores were 30 to three and 19 to one. This was baseball. Um, so, and I bet those, I bet that was a total of 10 innings across those two games. And at the end of each of those games, you have to walk through the line and have that guy say, good game, good game, good game, but all kind of smirking at you and you kind of, and you have to take it. And I think that like, as a competitor, I think that's, that's part of the experience a little bit that it's not that your opponent gets to gloat, but that you have to then like after the, after the, after the game, and sometimes it's a close game, a really hard fought game. And you have to be able to walk through that line and kind of acknowledge the competition and then move on with your lives. I, I, I'm not usually that um, I kind of often take the side of like getting rid of, of those sort of ceremonial things probably, but that's one that I think certainly at the lower levels, I hope it doesn't trickle down. It probably already has. There's probably already been incidents at lower levels and they've at high schools or youth leagues or whatever, and leagues have gotten rid of it or whatever. But um, I would think certainly when you get to the college level, you're supposed to be because there is enough of a professional mindset, because again, what you were saying before, I know, you know, protecting the, the amateur players or whatever, John Howard is not an amateur, nor is Greg guard, nor is the, or the assistant coaches. They should be able to conduct themselves through that line with uh, some level of, of composure. Well, that's, and that's, that's what we were saying earlier. It's like lower levels, they're amateurs. We get it. Pros don't do a handshake line. They just go on the field and like, Right. They I guess at the end of a series, maybe in the NBA, they do it. But it's a lot of like just hanging out. You know, NFL doesn't do it. They congratulate the guys individually. It's not as much of a line thing. Right. The thing was, so it's it's the college is stuck in the middle with everything The remember December. A basketball player sucker punched a dude in the handshake line and got I think got arrested for it. You mm-hmm. guys ever remember that video? Just Google that video. That's what I thought Juwan Howard did initially which is like, I'm putting my hand out for a handshake and instead you punch me in the face. So 
I don't know. I think sports are highly competitive and the idea that you're supposed to take it easy on an equally matched opponent at any point in the game, that's what blows my mind. And that then you would be mad that we didn't take it easy on you. That that's the root. That's the issue. Why is that a sports thing? You didn't take it easy on me enough. What are you talking about? That's insane to me. I agree with that. And I agree with that at all levels. I used to have, when I covered high schools would have uh, arguments with coaches about that sort of thing too. Um, and uh, I, I don't know why we, we look at sports that way. It's, it's part of like American sports. It seems kind of ingrained, whether you're talking about like the unwritten rules in baseball that drive people crazy, including me. And it just seems like it is something that's entrenched in the sport. And I would love to be able to weed it out over time. But I think we're going, it almost seems like we're going in the opposite direction because people are more sensitive than ever. You know, it's a good way, I think, to weed it out of the sport, just punch it right out of the sport. <laughs> With that, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk about our big Ohio State topics of the week here on Buckeye Talk. We're back on Buckeye Talk, talking uh, the big Ohio State topics of the week. We already mentioned this on the podcast, but I wanted to circle back and talk about it because I think it's an interesting sort of touch point for the offseason. And it's Ohio State right now being the preseason number one in the ESPN SP Plus rankings, uh, the SP Plus projections, I suppose you would say. Um it's it's a it's a formula that's based on some very specific things. Um, I kind of wanted to explain a little bit. It's it's there's an offensive score, a defensive score, and and the re, the way that they come up with that score is partially through uh, ranking or recruiting rankings, partially through a team's recent performance, and but then also partially through like returning production, and even that is very specific because, for instance, quarterback. Um, and receiver yardage is weighted more than rushing yardage. And on defense, tackles is weighted more than sacks, not because those things are more important, but because they have found this formula uh, that, that those things more correlate to success or are more predictable from one year to the next. So, Doug, you had mentioned this on the podcast a couple weeks ago, but like when you saw that Ohio State was number one in SP+, did that mean something to you? Did that, like validate things we're already saying about Ohio State um is it because it's so much based on returning production and that can be misleading do you not want to put too much weight on it I guess how did how did you assess that no I think I think it does matter because as we've discussed we've talked about this a little bit on the pod but that they're a team with high recruiting rankings that has its quarterback and most productive receiver returning and that is a big deal, especially compared to where this team was a year ago. So when we think about the best way to analyze Ohio State is within the, its own context. So let's just compare 2022 Ohio State to 2021 Ohio State. Well, they had Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave back, but they didn't have a quarterback who'd ever thrown a pass in college football. Now they have a quarterback who's thrown for a gazillion yards. And yes, they lose Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, but you know who their number one receiver is, and he's awesome. So that idea, there's so much more certainty around the quarterback situation at Ohio State, and there's not a commensurate major drop-off really anywhere. 
it matters to me in the idea of man it really does make you think that there's much more perceived certainty with Ohio State football going into this year and Alabama has a similar thing and and if Jamison Williams was back for Alabama or John Mechie was back Alabama would maybe be number one on this list instead of third but that Bryce Young is back and Will Anderson is back and that for Alabama, Will Anderson, edge rusher, who's going to be the best defensive player in college football versus CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba back. Those are very similar to me, right? I mean, if you said, which duo would you rather have going into the season based on their talent and their level and their experience and what positions they play? I don't know. I might take Bryce Young and Will Anderson, but here by your, you know, by the measurements you were explaining, it seems like the receiver might push up a little bit more, but also Zach Harrison's back for Ohio State, so that's a big deal. But it's just a reminder to people that a team with this much, that recruits this well, doesn't often have as much production returning as Ohio State does. And that does matter when you're thinking about Ohio State year to year. The way that I looked at this really differs when, when you're considering offense or defense for Ohio State. Because offense, I think it speaks for itself. You got CJ Stroud back. You got Jackson Smith and Jigba back. You've got you know, multiple offensive line starters back, and and those are like the three heavily weighted things. And then you've even got Trevin Henderson back and all the rushing yards. Yeah, and really everybody in the backfield, like all those rushing yards are back, um, except for Master Teague. But on defense, I it, it's much more nuanced because Ohio State, like again, I'll, I'll, the breakdown of the numbers is fifty nine percent of the formula for the returning production is based on returning tackles. Uh, 28% for returning passes defended. Only 8% go to tackles for loss and 5% to sacks. So mostly it's just guys who are on the field, you would say. It's just like returning bodies more than like returning specialized production. And and then things like interceptions are, are, are turnovers are so hard to predict that they don't really factor in. But for Ohio State, there's two things. Number one, you've got a, a new defensive coordinator bringing in an entirely new system. So that makes a prediction a little bit difficult. And then also, as we've talked about on the pod, there are guys who played a lot last year and factored into that, that tackles number who may need to get surpassed in order for Ohio State to be as good as it actually could be. And that's where mediocre teams often get in trouble with stuff like this that returning a bunch of mediocre players isn't necessarily a good thing it's like well we'd actually like to have different better players so i think you make a good point about the defensive stats are more accumulation stats and that does not i mean yeah as much that doesn't indicate skill and greatness as much as what cj stroud and jackson smith and jigba what their stats say about them. Yeah, because if if somebody blows an assignment on the defensive line and the linebacker whiffs and then a safety has to make a tackle 30 yards downfield, that's still a tackle. That's a tackle just as much as a sack was. And they both get counted the same in this. And so that's a little bit misleading. I'm sure that if you were to ask Bill Connolly who did this, um, you know, there's a reason behind that formula. And again, I think it's about predictability. I, I think it, it does kind of almost come back to just who, which teams are bringing back the most reps on defense, the most snaps on defense. It's probably going to correlate pretty strongly to the people who bring back the most tackles, the most passes defended. So I sort of see the point of that. I just feel like in 
sometimes you're too close to it. And I feel like in Ohio State's case, that judgment could be a little bit misleading because they're bringing back a lot of guys who may be better a year older. It was a young defense last year, but also some guys who we think there may need to be some, some reshuffling and some new guys emerge in order for this defense to, to be as good as it could be. So Ohio State's first in SP plus on offense and 11th in defense and combined, they are number one overall. And as you said, the majority of the defensive number is based on returning tackles. The majority of the right? defensive production number is based on that. That, 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 num- that 11th rating is – the production is just one part of that. The recent performance and the recruiting rankings are another part of that. They so all the product- factor in. Ohio State's 10 leading tacklers from 2021 are back. Right. So as I run through this list of the 10 guys, just think to yourself – well, we'll think about it when we get to the end. Ronnie Hickman, Tommy Eichenberg, Bryson Shaw, Cody Simon, Steele Chambers, Taraja Mitchell, Lathan Ransom, Denzel Burke, Zach Harrison, Court Williams. And Court Williams had 27 tackles. That was tied for 10 with Marcus Williamson. And Marcus Williamson is the first guy who's not back. Also, then Tyreek Smith has 26 tackles. He's not back. So when you think about, hey, their 10 leading tacklers are back. When you heard those 10 names, were you like, yes, top 10 defense, those 10 guys, or were you like, eh? probably need some different guys to be among their top 10 tacklers for them to be as good as I think they're going to be. I think this is a good example of the accumulation of tackles within that production number, which is only so part of a part of the formula is something that would push Ohio state up, but not actually indicate that they're necessarily going to be good. Right now, because you're factoring in the recruiting rankings and things though, that means that, JT Tuimaloao didn't rank in the top 10 in tackles that's coming back. Neither did Jack Sawyer, but they contribute towards that number 11 ranking on defense because they were ranked so highly. And the expectation is, you know, they're going to be really good players this year. And you got CJ Hicks coming in who factors into that, that ranking. And some of that, that can also be misleading because how soon do guys get on the field? How soon do they impact? But I think all in all, I actually think that that, is probably a pretty fair representation of where Ohio State should be considered this year. It's more just that production number that I think could be, it's not so much that I think it might be misleading. It's just that it's, it's so hard to predict right now because we don't even know exactly how Jim Knowles is going to line these guys up. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Jordan Hancock's not in here, but he is in here because he didn't have any tackles, but he is going to be a second year player who was a top 100 recruit that the formula accounts for and some kind of anticipation that he will affect the defense this year. So they're 11th in defense. If five of those 10 guys that I listed weren't back, five of the top 10 tacklers were gone. It might lower Ohio state from 11th in the defensive portion of SP plus to 16th, who knows, or 14th and actually have almost no tangible effect on how good the defense is going to be, but that might make them second or third in the ranking instead of first, just because five of their top 10 tackles were gone. But any Ohio state fan knows looking at those names, if those guys are their top 10 tacklers, again, they're in trouble. So I think, but I think as a guide, as a guide, I think it does matter. And especially when it comes to the offensive side of the ball, it's such an offensive team and they have so much of the offense back that, this is C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba driven, and that seems fair to then Ohio State number one. 
And as you pointed out in the text that you sent to um, our, our folks the day that this came out, the gap between Ohio State and Georgia, between number one and number two overall in this SP Plus score, is as big as the gap between Georgia and the team that's ranked number 17. So there's a this formula says Ohio State is clearly a national championship contender in 2022. It, it, it puts Ohio State number one by this formulation, number one by a wide margin. Do you think that is good for this team? Do you think it needed that kind of jolt of, I don't know how much they care about like any one ranking, but like to, when, when that gets out there and now people are going to talk about that and that's probably going to affect where they get ranked in the preseason, potentially it gets them a little bit of extra credit when people are filling out that ballot. Like, do you think going into the season with higher expectations is good for this team because it, it gives them something to live up to. Do you think that if they had not been ranked as highly here, we're not ranked as high in the preseason. Does that help them? Because Ryan day gets to play that good old underdog card. So I think the speech on the first day of spring practice would be more like, Hey coach, what does it mean that we're first in the SP plus rankings? Good question, Zach. That'd be funny if that's how Zach Harris is. Good good question, Luke. That's not how Luke Whipler sounds either. Here's what I think it means, team. Gather round. There are guys in this room that were put in positions last year that a lot of great players in this program have not been put in. We leaned on you guys last year because we had to. Were we perfect? No. Did we fight every day? Yes. And all those experiences, good and bad, every win, all 11 wins, both losses, every one of those experiences makes you a better football player here today. And all those experiences are back with us. So that number, that number one ranking, that acknowledges all the fights, all the, the sweat that we put into last year and we're bringing back. We deserve that number one. It's not going to win us anything. But yeah, we're back because we have talent that we put on the field and you had to learn. But nobody has those experiences like us. That number tells us that we have a foundation that few teams can match. So let's build on that foundation and let's seize this. Let's show them that they're right. We don't have to be anybody's underdog. We didn't make the playoff last year, but you know what? This year, we're as good as anybody. We take a back seat to no one we are the ohio state buckeyes we're always talented that's a given we know that we're not always this experienced why are we experienced because of the hardships of a year ago so let's make those losses mean something they meant something for this number one ranking now throw that away but no you are as good as anyone ohio state football in 2022 takes a backseat to nobody and let's prove that every day so I don't think you have to be an underdog this year. I think you want to be, don't you dare watch Georgia's defense or don't you dare watch Bryce Young or don't you dare watch anybody else in the country and think they're better than us because they're not. That I think would be the message here coming off the year like they did a year ago. I think that is the way I would spin it too because I think it, when we talked to Gene Smith last week, he was bringing up multiple times how young the defense was this past year. As if it was not making an excuse, it's it's legitimate that they were a, a young, inexperienced defense at a number of positions, but that is in the past. 
you're not the inexperienced defense. You're the heavily experienced defense now, and you should play like it. You don't have that sort of built-in excuse anymore. You, you're you're in, you're a, a new team. Uh, what is your Ohio State topic of the week, Doug? So I do want to do this more on a, on a full podcast because I want to get a survey out to the texters. But we have not, right? We have not, because I was on vacation, talked about the fact that they're not going to expand playoff. Right? Did you and Steven talk about it a little no. bit? No. So they're not expanding the playoff for four years. The, the end effect is that we're going to get two extra years of the four-team playoff that a lot of us were expecting would not be the case. Because once they really got down to it, you knew they weren't going to expand in time for 2022. Initially, it felt like maybe they were saying they could expand for 23. The current TV contract, the current contract, it's a 12-year deal. They're eight years in. So there's four years left of the old deal. It's like, could they re- redo that deal while it still existed? In the end, they would have redone the last two years. And they voted to say, no, we're not going to do that. The Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 voted against it. It needed to be unanimous. So we're getting a four-team playoff in 22, 23, 24, and 25. I want to do a survey for our texters here on Buckeye Talk. Shahan and I on the Wednesday College Football Survivor Show, go listen to it. We went through all the whys of of how this vote happened, why it went this way. Um, But from an Ohio State perspective, I'm curious where fans are. because. Uh, Ohio State is both arguably the most affected program by a decision like this, by any expansion decision, because as we've talked about numerous times and I've written about numerous times, we all know they've been on the edge and barely missed more than anybody. They've been fifth, they've been sixth, they've been seventh. So there's that reality that in all those years, they just would have made it. They would have made the playoff every year of the playoff if we had 12-2 playoff the whole time. They would have made it every year, and they have not made it every year. So they are super-duper affected by this. But on the other hand, they're always a contender for the four-team playoff, right? They open every season with every reason to expect they'll make the four-team playoff. And so in some ways, they're not as affected as, you know, the Mountain West champ, Utah State thinks in a 12-team playoff, we can make it in a 14 playoff. We just don't have that goal at all. If you're Penn State, you're dying for the 12-team playoff, right? If you're anybody that's not the best team in a conference, Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten. So I'm curious where fans are. I don't know where Ohio State fans are, Nathan. Are they disappointed that we're not getting earlier expansion? Do they like it? Because the one thing that we've talked about is the one thing that would be lessened in an expanded playoff world is the importance of every regular season game for the super teams. Because if you enter a world where Bama and Ohio state and mostly Clemson are going to make the playoff every year, no matter what, then you don't get as riled up about the losses, which means you don't get as jacked up before kickoff of like, Oh, I hope we don't lose today. But, and I made this, and I made this point on the playoff show. It's like to tell Ohio state fans, listen, I, I got terrible news about the playoff. What is it? We're going to expand early and it's going to lessen the impact of your regular season to some degree. It's like, Oh no, what's going to happen. It's like, well, in years where Ohio state loses to a team like Iowa or Purdue in the regular season, the terrible news is you're still going to make the playoff. Like for real, that's what we mean by lessening the impact of the regular season. You're still going to be able to compete for a title when you're only very good instead of great. 
And that's, that's the thing you're losing. So in the end, you're losing nothing, right? Because really, if you ask an Ohio State fan, would you rather, and I'll ask the, I'll ask the texters this. If Ohio State at the end of a regular season is the six, the number six team in the playoff ranking, and that is a correct ranking, Nathan. We're not arguing about whether Ohio State got screwed. They deserve to be number six. Do you want them in the playoff or out? And I don't know how many Ohio State fans, Ohio State fans would be like, out. If we're not the top yeah. four, we don't deserve it. So then, then you're in a world where there's no argument against expansion other than like the, the, the silly little things, mostly silly. Extra games, I get it. Health and welfare, safety, I get it. That is a consideration to talk about. But most of it's silly details that shouldn't hold up expansion. And on the, on the Survivor Show, we went into why it did get held up. But I almost am not exactly sure at this point, and I've, I took me a while to come around on this, why any Ohio State fan would be against expansion. Like, what, what is it that you hate about it? Because it just, like, increases the chances of your very good team getting to play for a title. Yeah, I, I guess I don't understand why you wouldn't want a situation where the 2015 team still gets to play for a national championship. Where one three-point loss to another really good team doesn't take you completely out of it. I guess it's somebody who's saying, you know, they, they had their chance, fair and square, and in the whole season is a playoff. I guess if you take that that stance, I get it. But man, wouldn't you trade in a Rose Bowl trip for a chance to go win the national championship? And in that case, it would have been back-to-back national championships. I mean, that's just I don't I. I that's the way my brain works. Like I I've always been for let's get more teams involved in this because there are fluky things that can happen in a regular season. And sometimes teams peak later. And I don't think every week should be a referendum on whether a team where, where one game can knock you out of having any chance to win a national championship. I mean, last year's team is a great example. Ohio State's team last year could have won the national championship. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I'm not saying they would have. They certainly could have. They lose at Michigan in the snow is a justifiable loss. I mean, it's not, it's not a fluke loss at all. Michigan was excellent on that day. But could Ohio State, if they had gotten in a 12-team playoff, won the national title? Absolutely. They would have been the third favorite if not the second favorite, honestly, right? If Ohio State gets in last year and the odds come out, it's Georgia and Alabama, co-favorites to win it, and then Ohio State's third. There's no doubt about it. Ohio State would have been odds makers ahead of Cincinnati, Michigan. Not, No doubt about it. So then it's just like, as an Ohio State fan, how would any Ohio State fan be like, no, but it's like if, if your overall perspective of four teams is better. It's more competitive. It adds to the regular season. Theoretically, I think there's a great theoretical discussion for it. If you love your team, are you enough of a, would you let the theoretical trump the, here it is, my good team got left out because they had a loss. Um, yeah, that's a heck of a thing. I, I would admire any fans who, who could do that. I don't know how many Ohio State fans there are. And again, I, I liked four teams for a long time. And there's a lot of structural stuff. I, I, but I'm, I'm particularly interested in the Ohio State fan perspective because Ohio State is the test for this. They are the – if you're Alabama, Alabama's in every year regardless. 
for it could be a two-team playoff. It could be a 30-team playoff. It doesn't matter. Alabama's in is going to be favored to win it. So it's an Ohio State question. And I, I am we will do, I think, a whole yeah. podcast on it because the podcast isn't the news anymore. You guys all know the news. But I don't know, Nathan, what fans actually think about that. So we might do that by the end of this week. And I think it's going to be a mixed reaction, but I'm curious too. I think I've, we've already seen it in some of the texts that I've read through when I've texted about the, the things that were going on and people responded. I think you're going to get a, a divided response. My thing, my, I was already a proponent of, a, of an expanded playoff. And the epiphany that I had recently, I think I talked about on the pod, was that we too often talk about this as Ohio State going for one of four spots. Ohio State is going for one spot every year. Like, there's never been two Big Ten teams make the playoff. I know there have been some years where that was theoretically possible. But until that really happened, you, you can't talk about it as Ohio State is going for four spots. Ohio State is going for one spot to have a say for the national championship every year. And um, I just I, – I, I think it's – there. I understand the people who would say you want the 2014 teams – the 2019 teams to be rewarded for what they do, that that is special and that they shouldn't have to um, dance through this minefield of the people who backed in. I guess I understand that. I just feel like you're also depriving yourself of the years where your team is legitimately better than the teams that make the playoff and you don't get to go prove it. And they, I mean, they have lived, they were a, one loss big 10 champ that didn't get in the playoff in 2018. Like that is a reality that is not that far in the rear view mirror. And I don't know that people necessarily thought that that team with the holes in the defense that it had and sort of the struggles in the run game, but I don't know wouldn't it have been fun to see Dwayne Haskins and Terry McLaurin and those guys take a shot in the playoff and, they're one last Big Ten champion they get in. So that reality is, you know, let's let's if you're in favor of four teams, let's get to another situation where Ohio State is a one loss Big Ten champion doesn't get in and see if people if Ohio State fans, not people, not people, because I can see people. I think there's an argument for four teams for people. The argument for Ohio State fans Unless you just think it's going to, because I, because I don't think it would, it's going to, unless it's going to make you like not care as much about Ohio state, Michigan, because win or lose both are in, or at the very least win or lose Ohio state's in, but you still hate Michigan, Ohio state fan. You still hate them. So you still want, you want the bragging rights. You want your rival to suffer. You want your, the players you love to suffer the, to enjoy what it is to beat Michigan, regardless of the playoffs. So I just, I don't know. I'll be curious to see the results. That's all. I, you said it split. I just don't know. I don't know anymore why it would be 90-10 in favor of the expanded playoff for Ohio State fans. You might be right. It might not be It might not be a 50-50 split, but I think that there is going to be support. We are going to see a, a portion of the fan base, they're probably already texting us right now, saying why they prefer four, and uh, I, I respect that. We'll listen to their opinion, and um I think you're right. I think we'll we'll talk about that more very soon on Buckeye Talk. Coming back after the break, here's your your nonsense trigger warning. We're going to talk a little bit about what you watch and what you eating here on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug, what you watching? What you eating? Which of those you want to answer first? 
Uh, let's do uh, what you're watching. Okay. So I was watching stuff on my Southwest flight back from Florida. You get the free mm-hmm. app and you watch movies or TV shows. I, I I didn't watch a movie. I watched a couple TV shows, but one of the TV shows that was on there it was kind of weird. Um, it was this this redo of the Muppets that was on in 2015 and lasted only a year. And for some reason, it was on the Southwest app, like this seven-year-old show. And I don't know if people remember it. I remember watching it when it was on, but it was like a redo of the Muppet show, but they leaned into sort of the TV uh, era of the day. And yeah. they had the Muppets doing talking to the camera, like on The Office and Modern Family and Parks <laughs> and Rec, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and the setup was that it was Miss Piggy. Was, it was almost like Gary Shandling or something. Miss Piggy is the host of a late night talk show and Kermit's the executive producer and it's everybody around that. And it's all the Muppets. It's the whole Muppet thing of it's Muppets then interacting with humans. So like the one, of the, the one episode I watched was Kermit was so stressed out he had to go to like a yoga retreat and then Jason Bateman was there. And it was Jason Bateman playing himself and Kermit and Jason Bateman having a discussion. I laughed out loud on the plane 10 times. <laughs> It was, I, and then I pointed it out to my daughter. My daughter, now there's Muppet stuff in Disney, so maybe we're in a Muppet kind of mood. My daughter was laughing out loud. I don't know how many times right now, I don't know that I have a great comedy that I watch right now on TV that's currently active. I guess Curb, Curb Enthusiasm, but like where I laugh out loud during the show. And I don't know why this Muppet show missed. Because it was only on for a year it got canceled after a year hmm. and like it makes me sad because it's very funny look at how many episodes they did they did 16 episodes so i almost wish they could try again there's so many incarnations of the muppets over time it's like slapsticky and you know beaker gets coffee poured on him and stuff but a comedy that can make me laugh out loud multiple times in an episode that is a that is a jewel my friend and that whatever was happening in America, maybe we were over the talking to the camera part of it. And they leaned into the office, modern family way of doing things like right when those kind of shows were kind of waning. But man, Muppets, they're puppets that act like people. Very funny. Was Jason Siegel involved in that? Because I, I know he was. Okay. It was like that when he did the Muppet movie, that was sort right. of a separate thing. Yeah. And, and when if people have seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall, there's kind of a Muppet um influence in that a little bit he, he references muppet things in a couple ways in that movie so i wasn't sure if he was involved in that but no i'll definitely look for that i think that sounds like a lot of fun um a couple weeks ago we had a uh, some friends come in and visit and they told us about this show that they had been watching and this is a show that's been on we're watching now the 11th season of it on youtube which is just available so i'm i'm this is not a new show i'm recommending kind of like yours it's 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 definitely been out there, but it's it's a British show called Taskmaster. Are you familiar it, with Taskmaster? Is it about baking? No, it's not oh. the Great British Baking Show, which my which my wife also watches and which I have sort of watched. But it it's so it it's a very British sense of humor. It's so the premise of the show is there's this guy, the Taskmaster, and they have five comedians on and they compete during this season. And every show he gives them a series of tasks that they have to perform 
and whoever does the tasks the best gets uh, there's like a a sliding scale of points you get and at the end of the season there's a champion of taskmaster for the season but the competition is really not the point of the show it's about again it's five comedians so the things he's having them do are usually ridiculous in the first place but i love things where it's just like five comedians involved and like kind of riffing on each other or they're just doing funny things in spontaneously and um, you have to kind of, I think, look past if, 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 if like the whole British humor thing is not your cup of tea. I think there's people who that grates on a little bit because it, it can be very different than American. Uh, maybe this isn't your show, but uh, I think it's a lot of fun. My wife and I have been watching it now. You kind of get, you know, you're I mean, getting introduced to a bunch of comedians and actors from Britain that I had never heard of before. But then you go like look at their Wikipedia page and you're like, oh, he's been a huge star in Britain for 25 years or whatever so um i think it's a lot of fun if you like sort of reality competition shows it's not like necessarily a um satire of those but it it, it's not really taking it that seriously and the taskmaster himself is also has like a very dry like um is not afraid to make fun of the comedians also and it's just he's got a little like sidekick guy who's also involved it's 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 really funny uh, you can find it on YouTube for free and check it out there if you want to. Uh, did are any of the comedians over the eleven years did they go on to be super famous? I don't know that because we're only we've only been watching this one season. I haven't gone back and looked at the previous seasons. I know that there's a comedian named uh, like James Altucher, something like that, who I think is is like contemporarily kind of famous right now, or has gotten some renown coming out of uh, Britain, and I think he's on like the most recent season or one of the most recent maybe the current season of it. So it, it's people over there who are like on, it would be like if, um, like I'm sure that someday they'll do an American version of this because that always happens, right? Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. The Office was a British show and Whose Line Was It Anyway it was a British show. I, I would say this this reminds me a little bit of, of who likes Whose Line Is It Anyway? That it, it's, not, um, it's not an improv show like that, but just kind of the spontaneity of it and the, the unpredictability of it. This reminds me, one of the things I want to do on what you're watching in one of the weeks is there's a guy that I unnaturally hate, and I'm curious if everybody hates him or not, but I'll say an actor, a performer, who if he's involved with the thing, did I already say it before? No, but you hinted at it last week, because I had had recommended Righteous Gemstones, which, by the way, I almost regretted after I did it, because I felt like this season wasn't... um, following living up to first season as much but these last two weeks i think they've it's redeemed itself but in that conversation because i was talking about danny mcbride and you're like oh kind of need him in small doses and then there was someone else that you oh yeah yeah you suggested that there's oh there's somebody out there that i really hate and if that he's would involved, actually be better what you're watching what you ate what you eating who you hating who you hate <laughs> that i think we I could mean, do that that's... i think you should just you could do a who you hating pod each week uh, so I'll do the thing that, that I ate. This has brought me back to, and I'm diabetic, so I should be on all this stuff, but I was like, gave myself a little treat. Uh, my childhood, man, you get on your bike and you go down to the convenience store and you get a Slurpee. Mm, slush, but not the, not, I guess it is a slush, not a Slurpee because a Slurpee is like the ice with the, with the, like the ice crystals with the liquid in it. This is just that smooth concoction, just like a frozen thing. And you get cherry or you get Coke flavor. And I had, when I was at Disney, I just, for one treat, I let myself, because they don't have Diet Coke, slushies. 
I got a Coke slushy. The, if you get the right consistency on a frozen Coke slushy and it's smooth the whole way through, which can be very difficult. Again, in my childhood, lots of days where you're pulling the handle on the thing and it's spitting stuff out. It's going, bleh, 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 and it's like, oh, it's out. It's like, oh, no. Right. Or sometimes it's too liquidy. Sometimes it's rock hard and it won't go up through the straw. Then you've got to get a spoon out. But when you hit the right consistency of a Coke slushy, it is magical. And I had maybe it's why I'm diabetic because I used to drink like four a day when I was 11. <laughs> so ride your bike, get a slice, ride your bike like a block. Oh, I'm so I'm so tired from riding my bike a block. Let me get another slushy. <laughs> it was so pleasing. And I hope, I mean, you know, kids today, I don't know if they ride their bikes or not, or if they have slushes anymore. But man, it really hit the spot. And it brought me back. We all have that stuff that brings you back to when you were a kid. So it made me feel like I was 11, even though I was paying nine bucks for it in Disney World. Um, so big fan of the Coke slushy. I feel like kids do ride their bikes less. I feel like that's like, I don't I don't see little kids just off. Like when I was a kid, now again, I grew up in a town of 300 people out in a bean field. So the 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 dangers were not as present. But like, if I, like in the, I would just leave on a summer morning. I could just take off and like nobody asked you would just ride your bike across town and play with a buddy all day yeah yeah no no happens. i was i was out of my bike all the time yeah it's it's harder um and like it depends if like you're in a i mean i i think you and i both grew up in small towns and now i'm more like in a suburb and so right. like the subdivision world sometimes it's like well to get out of your subdivision now you got to go over a busy road and there's not as much stuff right i mean small town it's like it was like my house and then like a block away was a pizza place and a block away was a slushy place and again i have diabetes so maybe it's better stay in a bubble so you can't carbs should not be as bikeable as they were as uh when i was 11 so maybe that's better a carb perimeter around your house you want to it's like how many carbs can i get to in five minutes and uh that's a worthy thing to think about when you purchase home fair enough I'm going to give a shout out to a Columbus eatery that we, I don't know if we discovered it. My wife, we were looking for a place to eat Sunday night and she found this place. And I think the good natured ribbing that we do on this podcast, I think I have this reputation for like being some sort of a snobby foodie kind of guy. And in reality, I'm really much more of like a comfort food kind of guy. Like even when I'm cooking, uh, more ethnic foods. If I'm cooking Indian food, it's like usually like very like, you know, creamy dishes. Um, and it's uh, more like rustic. It's not like very fancy food. And uh, I'm saying this not to put this place down because I actually really enjoyed it. There's a place in Columbus down in, I guess, kind of like the German village area called the old Mohawk. And I had never heard of it until my wife just said it that night. We went there and had just like fantastic meatloaf dinners with like mashed potatoes and green beans and uh, some onion rings. They had a good beer selection. Uh, just a, just a great little like neighborhood restaurant, like the kind and really busy on a Sunday night. So they don't like, I don't think need my shout out. Like we, they were really busy, like to the point where they had to tell us like, Hey, the kitchen is like really busy tonight. So get your order in fast. So uh, I recommend that place. Anybody looking for just like a very like casual yet uh, solid dining experience in the middle of Columbus, the old Mohawk. So let me ask about the decision to order meatloaf in mm -hmm. that setting. 
I am out on loaf texture. So what is it? Meatloaf to me, if I conjure a thing of like, oh, when you're a kid and your parent makes something for dinner and you're like, oh, not that. That's meatloaf to me. Now, my dad loved meatloaf. I am, I could not be further out on meatloaf than I am. I literally have not eaten meatloaf in 30 years. I probably will never eat meatloaf again in my life. What is it about the loaf texture that entices you? I don't know that it's the texture that entices me. I think there's there's the flavor there, but the texture a little bit too, that it's not, I think you have to get a, a meatloaf that's moist. It can't be a dry meatloaf. It can't be like a dry, crumbly, or like hard, overcooked, tough around the edges meatloaf. It has to have a consistency where it's solid, and moist but not like slimy i i grew up like my mom makes meatloaf my mom makes really good meatloaf my mom grew up in kentucky and learned from her mom like a lot of like like southern kind of cooking sort of things so i grew up my mom's a really good cook i think i and as i i loved her meatloaf growing up although it was a very like kind of basic meatloaf not anything too fancy to it we still make meatloaf to this day we've gotten a little bit i think fancier with how we make ours but still, it's it, the really important part is that moistness. It's got to be able. It's got to have. It's got to have a firmness, but also has to kind of be dripping with flavor in the right way. And, and I thought this place definitely did that. Nice big piece, but um, not not dry, not tough. You know, easy to just cut it with a fork, run it through some mashed potatoes and gravy. That's the best way to eat meatloaf. Moist, also a very good starting word in Wordle. Yeah, two vowels in there in the SNT. I, what is, is that, is that your starting word in Wordle? I don't have a starting word. We could go, I don't have a starting word in Wordle because I just want to think of a five-letter word and do it. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to 1,000% just do every single one in as few guesses as possible. We have had this debate in my house. Apparently, people use adieu as a starting word a lot. A-D-I-E-U, because it's got four vowels in it. Right. And to me, I would say, if you want to use adieu as your starting word in Wordle, why don't you move to France? Because this is America, and here we play American Wordle. So audio, I find an acceptable substitution, still four vowels. Mm-hmm. But it's an American word. We don't, we're not playing English Wordle. We're playing American Wordle. Because I don't want to see you all, I don't want to see uh, Blimey or whatever in there either, right? Like, it's American words. And a Jew is not an American word. So I don't think you should be able to start it. I don't think it should be acceptable. And if and I just don't, that if you start with a Jew at any time, just so you can send your, your friend, I got Wordle in three, it's not what it's about. Also, the New York Times taking over Wordle has kind of chunked it up. Because like every, now all the New York Times wordles all start with a vowel or have double letters in them. Because it's like, oh, it's this fun little thing. It's like, oh, no, it's part of the New York Times gaming system. Let's make it more difficult for the masses. Like, shut your holes. But I'm just trying to do a word puzzle. I have seen some things, though, that it isn't more difficult. Like, they're using the same words that the guy had planned to use all along. So yeah. all I'm saying is a couple, couple times ago, it was tacit. Get out. Tacit was out, tough. New York Times. Tacit was tough. And there's been a couple recently. Uh, uh, what was one? There, uh, shake was a word the other day. And I didn't get it until the sixth one. 
because oh, yeah. I went through like shape and <laughs> shame and everything else before I shade, got in shade, shave, shave, share. Yeah. Share. yeah, there was like so many and I was lucky that I got it in the six. I still have I've never not gotten it in the six. I, I was a little late to the world party, but I've been playing it. I got it in three this morning. What if we just made part of this? What you're watching? What you eating? Who you hating? How you wordling? Hmm. And we could just run through. Uh, it's been a week since we talked to you guys. Nathan and I will now run through how many guesses it took us for each wordle. Nathan, Monday, four. Doug, five for me. Tuesday, Nathan, two. Doug, six. Right? Wouldn't that be fun for people? <laughs> no. <laughs> and I only, I do not share mine on, I only send it to my wife. We just send ours back. I don't know who she shares hers with. I think she has friends that she plays with. But no, I, I, I pick, you pick, I have the same starting word. It has two vowels. And then I also went back to the old um, Wheel of Fortune list where you start off with R-S-T-L-N-E, like, because those are so common in all words. So I use two of those letters. And then I have like a, a third one that I came up that was more a wild card. And then because I thought it would be a funny t- story to tell if I ever had to say it on a podcast. So my starting word every day is boner. Which world accepts? I was going to be. God, I hope one day it's boner. I hope it just is boner. (laughs) So you can be. And it'd be like, everyone would be like, well, see, oh my God, who got it in one guess today? Oh, there's the boner people. But I'm not really trying to get it in one guess because I feel like that is a, just a shot in the dark. I don't know that it it doesn't, that doesn't exhibit any skill. The, 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 the best wordle accomplishment i think is to whiff on the first row like get all gray you didn't get any of those letters right and then get it on the second try because then you at least have to put some thought into which letters you're using that you know are not in the puzzle or are in the puzzle might be in the puzzle so so i was gonna hold it against you that you are a person who has a starting word and uses the same word every time but then it was boner so i feel better about it my my daughter has a friend who uses farts every day Mm -hmm. as her starting word which is Um, see you gotta get two vowels I would do farty or I would do, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think you got to get a second vowel in there. I think sport is actually a really good word to start with. Get a lot of popular letters in there. Anyway, we're now on a Wordle podcast. Here we are. <laughs> That'll probably be the last Wordle uh, conversation on this podcast. If our Probably if our boss has anything to say about it. That's going to wrap up this edition of Midweek Madness. We'll have more to talk about later this week. Come back Thursday, come back Friday. We don't know exactly what we're talking about yet. Although, as Doug said, we may be delving in more to that playoff discussion. For Doug Lamerese, I'm Nathan Baird. That was Buckeye Talk.